Fantastic. Cool. What a bunch of good-looking warriors, eh? I just love how that rolls off my Scottish tongue, eh? I love the warrior because it really gets my good old Celtic blood going. When I hear the haka, when I hear bagpipes, I'm like, I feel like I can shout freedom like William Wallace and take over the world. And Paul's cringing because he hates bagpipes. Okay, great. I think I need a lectern double the size. Brilliant. Okay, let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, what a great God you are. You have such a warrior heart for your people, for your children. You love us so much. We just thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for freedom here this morning. I'm not going to worry about this preach because that's our theme. The warrior is greater than the warrior. So we just thank you that you have it all sorted by your Holy Spirit. Bless this word to those that hear it, that they will receive it, and that they will not only receive it, but they will run with it. We just thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. And they all said, Amen. Great. Okay, so the theme this month has been amazing. I've loved it. The warrior is greater than the warrior. And I want to talk about kingdom warriors this morning. What is a kingdom warrior? And I'm going to start way back in Exodus chapter 33. And um, God said to me, I was praying about what to speak on. And he said, I want you to have a look at Joshua. And it was actually when Sophia got up a couple of weeks ago and was sharing a testimony on uh, the chapter of Joshua, I was reading it and God said, I want you to speak about Joshua. But I just didn't have peace in my heart. You know when you just think he's got something else to give or to share? And I'm going to tell you what it is in a few minutes. Okay, so how do you become a warrior? This is the first introduction we have to Joshua, and it says, one of the first anyway, and it says here, Moses is the leader of the children of Israel, and it states in Exodus 33, verse 7, Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp, some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Verse 9, and it says there that a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. In other words, that means that God's presence filled the place. Verse 11, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. I love that. Then it says Moses would go back to the camp, but his young assistant Joshua Son of Nun did not leave the tent. So that lets, tells me that he's this young man. He just loves the presence of the Lord so much, he doesn't want to leave. When you get into the presence of the Lord in a real way, man, it is just empowering. It is encouraging. So Joshua love to hang about the presence of the Lord. Do you know if you want to become a warrior in the Lord, get into the presence of the Lord like what Deborah was sharing in her testimony. 
Because if you want to deal big time to your worries, that's where it starts big time. So that's how you become a warrior, a kingdom warrior, and that's not only. I want to share something else about recruiting kingdom warriors. There were two men in the Bible. One was Saul who became king, and the other one was David. And I'm going to share from 1 Samuel 14, verse 52. This is what King Saul thought a warrior was. Now there was fierce war with the Philistines all the days of Saul. And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he took him for himself. He was on the lookout to recruit people. So here we have a brief overview of Saul's life. And it summed up all the days of Saul, he was at war and he was always looking out for a strong man. But did he produce kingdom warriors? Well, let's see what David does. This is how David recruited. 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2. David therefore departed from there because he was getting hunted by Saul, who was jealous of him because he'd killed Goliath and he was hunting him. And it says that David escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And there is who he recruits. Have a look at this. And everyone who was in distress, in debt, and discontented, they gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. Did you hear that? Everyone who was in debt, distressed, and discontented. That is called 3D church. How about that? 3D church. He welcomed everyone who was broken and in debt and hurting. That sounds like Excite Church to me. We are a 3D church. We have people who are hurting, who are broken, who are in debt, and guess what? We're going to turn you into warriors, kingdom warriors, through the mighty power of God. And it just doesn't stop there. David became a leader. So in other words, he became like a pastor over these men. And this is what the Kiwi version looks like. They would come up and go, Hey, pastor, I'm broke. You got five bucks? And pastor would look at them and he'd go in his pocket and he'd pull out some money. And he's used to that because he's married to Ruth, who's Scottish, so he gets used to going in the pocket and handing out the door. And he hands out 10 bucks. Because, you see, Pastor Paul is a generous kingdom warrior. And he hands him the money and he looks him in the eye and he says, do you know what? You're an amazing man of God, bro. He says, you might be broke now and I'm giving you 10 bucks because we go the extra mile at Excite Church. But I'm going to tell you, God wants to prosper you more than you can ever imagine. He doesn't mean to stay, you to stay in the place of debt, but he's going to fire you up so that you have so much money that you are blessed to be a blessing to this community. That's what 3D church, church looks like. And so he became a leader over them. 
David's men became a mighty man. And like David, he was a giant slayer. I like that. But in David's company, his warriors became giant slayers too. Because if you read further on in the Bible, he, David wasn't the only one that killed a giant. Goliath had a brother. He might have had a few brothers and he had sons. And it says they were all giants, but they all got slain by David's mighty men. That was people who were in debt, discontented, and what was my other D? Distressed. 3D church. You guys are mighty warriors. So whether you believe it or not, I'm going to tell you, you are mighty warriors in the kingdom of God. We at this church go over and above because we have an over and above God. So that's the Kiwi version of 3D church. So King Saul and his army are chasing him. And it says David cries out to God to help him. And who does God send? People who are worse than he is. Don't you love the sense of humor like we were hearing about? God has a sense of humor. David thought he had it bad. And he's like, Lord, come on, help me. And he says, all right then, here's some cuzzy bros. And they're in debt. They're distressed. And he's like, for real? But David had a heart of faith, and it says he was a man after God's own heart. Do you know that the heart of God is to go after people who are in distress, in debt, and discontented with life? And I want to tell you that they didn't stay that way because David was faithful like God is faithful. And you read the Psalms, and you will know that he got into the presence of God, which Saul never understood the importance of. He never understood how important it was to the point that he was going into battle one day, and he consulted a witch to tell him what his future was going to be. That's how he resorted to, but David got into the presence of the Lord, and his men became mighty men. And they didn't stay the distressed and in debt church. I want to tell you that his 3D church changed from people of debt, discontented and distressed to a new 3D church. People who were delivered, who had destiny and direction. And that's what you will get when you come into the presence of the Lord. That's the new church that God has in mind. He gives you direction. He gives you a destiny and he delivers you from evil. Isn't it amazing? God uses people like you and I. It says God uses the weak things of the world to confound the mighty. I bet you those King Saul thought, oh, what a weak bunch of men. They're hiding in a cave. Look at them. Ha ha. I can, I'm going to win big time over them. But David never, ever lost a battle ever, because he trusted in his Lord. And in the Bible times, warriors, when they went into battle, they had an armor bearer, and they would take the supplies, and they would carry the stuff, basically. If you are going through a trial in your life at the moment, you need to get around armor bearers. That's where it starts, right here in church. Get to church every Sunday. Get around someone who loves God, who'll come along and just hold your stuff with you. Hold all the stuff, all the arrows. Get around someone who can encourage you and bless you 
and just walk through life while you go through your season. Right. I just love the presence of the Lord. I love the power of prayer. Man, it's powerful. If, if, honestly, if people really knew the power of prayer, they would actually start use, declaring out and using it a lot more. Now, I've got a really bad heritage. Being in Scotland, we had a queen, Mary, Queen of Scots, and she was called Bloody Mary because she did quite a lot of evil and she even had a husband killed. And... Um, there was a man who was the minister there around, preached the gospel. He actually introduced the gospel into Scotland again during her reign. And he was called John Knox. It was in the 1500s, and his house is still there in the Royal Mile. You can go and visit it. It's open to the public. She said this about John Knox. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. Wow. And do you know why? Because John Knox knew that to get into the presence of the Lord was the greatest weapon that you can ever have. And do you know something else about his house that is amazing and interesting? He used to kneel by his bed regularly and Paul's been there, he's seen it. Do you know that where his knees went, there are grooves and indents in the floorboards where he prayed. And she knew that, the Queen, Queen of Scotland knew that, and she feared his prayers. Prayer is so powerful. Praying mothers are powerful. Sometimes I get my kids come and they're like, oh, mom, I'm just worried about this or that. And what about this? What about a partner in life? What about this? And I go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And they say, but how do you know? And I say, you know how? Because this mama is praying and no one gets past my prayers. I can tell you. Everything is going to be okay. It is so good. Prayer is powerful. A few weeks ago, I had to phone up the manager of the Tunna Centre here, and she's not a churchgoer, but she will be soon. And I was booking in the Christmas concert, and um, I wanted the 16th of December. So I says, oh, can I have the 16th of December? And she went, oh, you can. Somebody's actually beaten you to it, and there's a wedding booked in the whole venue, so you can't have it for the whole Saturday because I do a big Santa Grotto setup. And she says, you'll have to have the 23rd of December. And I went, full of grace, that is such a pain. I says, that is going to be when everybody is kind of thinking of going away for the Christmas holidays. I says, I really need the 16th of December. So what I'm going to do is, and I'm telling her this on the phone, I'm just going to pray them out. And she's like, ooh, okay. <laughs> so, two weeks ago, I get an email. The wedding has been cancelled. Do you want the 16th of December? I went, yeah, of course I want the 16th. And I thought, oh, but I am a Christian who's full of grace. So I said, I emailed her this. Just so you know. I'm really into marriage, so I'm praying that they still get married, but they go to a different venue. Is that all right? <laughs> yep. So, 
Right, now I said I would tell you what God really put on my heart because that was the entree. I want to get into the dinner part of it now. God, when um, Sophia was sharing on Joshua, God said, I, I was, I'd been asking for ages and God said, I want you to speak on Joshua, but I just didn't have the peace about what he actually wanted me to share. And this is what I'm going to share with you now. Joshua chapter 1. I might skip through some of the stuff. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. You know he had no parents, eh, because he was the son of Nun. <laughs> I just wondered if you're listening. I know, that's a bad one, isn't it? That's a, that's a dad joke. Honestly, I'm getting bad. So Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people go cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give you. I will give you every place where your foot touches. Do you believe that, church? Everywhere you go is yours in the name of Jesus. Yes, it is. I'm going to skip down. So he tells them what they're going to have, and he says, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Then he says it here. This is the no worries verse. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land. A bunch of warriors, eh? I love it. No worries, eh? No worries in the kingdom of God. And then he says it again, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be worried. Do not be scared. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I'm going to skip down there. He says he will give him the land. He says it again. And I, you, the Lord your God, verse 13 I think it is, the Lord your God is giving you rest. God wants to give you rest. It's not a, it's not a battle. God's won the battle. You just stand and you just say, thank you, Jesus. Don't, don't worry about intimidations there. Just ignore them. Okay, now this is where God wanted me to speak on. Okay, chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they were, they went, sorry, and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. I'm going to pause there. Did you get what I just read? Because I'm going to tell you again, because this is important. It says, go look over the land, especially Jericho, and they did that. They entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and they stayed hit there. I just think God has a sense of humor. If I was to come up to you, Reuben, and say, hey, you've been praying for a breakthrough for so long, your breakthrough is going to come through a prostitute. You would go, oh, no, no thanks. No, my breakthrough I see is this way. I don't see it as that. Or for Carol, you know? If I says to you, you've been, you have been waiting for a great breakthrough for so long in your life, and God knew that. They had waited years to enter this land that God had promised them. And God says, it's going to come through a prostitute. You would be like, nah, that's a bit much. You know, it's a bit much. But, got to get to my part. 
especially Jericho. I just love how God kind of messes with people's heads sometimes. He does things and brings breakthrough in ways that we could never imagine. And he says, especially Jericho. Why was Jericho quite important that he had to mention it? And I believe it was because, as well, there was reasons, but one of them, I believe, was because there was a needy woman who for a long time had been wanting freedom and breakthrough in her life. And she, it says that she lived on the wall. Her house was on the wall. She had a door into the city, but a window looked out. And it was like a window of hope that she would stand there and think, why, how did I get into such a mess? How did my life get into such a mess like this? I just want to be free from this. I don't want to see another man in my whole entire life. Then there's a knock at the door. And guess who's standing there? Two men. But this time, it's different. No matter what your weakness is, God can turn it around and bring great blessing and he can bring good out of any mess. He can turn a mess into a great message. Grace isn't just for you, but others around you. And this is a story of great redemption and grace. Grace came looking for you when you weren't looking for it. Grace came knocking at the door of her door that day and she opened it up to these two men. And as we keep reading, the story goes on that they were spying out the land, but she had an inner hunger for something else. Her life was in a mess and she knew that there was something more. And she says to them, we have heard of all that God has done for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. She was acknowledging the God, the one true God. Quite amazing. And, you know, God has much more to do with us than, he, than we can ever imagine. His grace extends to all. And he says, especially Jericho. Especially Kirikiri. God has people in Kirikiri that he wants to go after. And it might not look exactly as we ever imagined breakthrough to look, but there was a woman in that city who needed Jesus. And she had a warrior heart in her. For so long, Rahab had been searching for identity, searching for love and protection. And it came to her in the form of two men when they came into her home. She hid them. And she hid them on her roof. And not only did she hide them on her roof, but she risked her life because the king of that city was hunting them. And it goes on to tell us that what happened next. It says that she, after the danger was over, it says that she had this scarlet rope, like a red rope, that she actually hung down over the wall and they escaped from. And they said, 
This is what I find was interesting. The same rope that you have, that we were let down with and can escape with, you have tied, you tie the scarlet cord, the same one in the window through which you let us down and you will be saved and anyone who comes into the house. The same red rope that they were saved with, the same red rope she was saved with. That tells me there is power in the blood of Jesus. This is like the gospel story of grace here. The same blood of Jesus that has saved you, has saved you, has saved you. There is power in the blood of Jesus. And I just think that it is so awesome. Jesus has made you clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, Peter, he he had this vision of meat and, and he wasn't wanting to eat certain meats. And he's like, oh no, I can't do that. I can't eat that. And God said in Acts 10, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. I can tell you that Rahab's neighbors knew she was unclean. And they would have said, there's not much hope for her because she was like the 3D church, distressed, in debt maybe. We don't know why she had to do what she had to do. She may have been in debt, but she was distressed and she was discontented with life. But God used this mighty woman for the saving of her family. And God doesn't just have you in mind when he saves you. He has his whole family in mind. As you bring them into the house, there will be blessing and great encouragement. Grace comes looking for you when you aren't looking for it. God sees the hat, and she was searching for more. So the same cord that saved the men saved her. The blood of Jesus Christ is so amazing, so full of grace and love. God has the whole family in mind for blessing, and Rahab's family are saved. It says, Ephesians 2 verse 8, By grace you are saved through faith. And God showed grace to Rahab. Not only did he save her, but he set her up to win in life. Do you know that when Jesus saves you, he sets you up to win in life like a mighty warrior? Why is that? Because it doesn't just finish there. There's more to Rahab, and I think this is just grace, the goodness and grace of God. Because in Matthew, gospel, there's a genealogy there, which was very important to the children of Israel. And in the genealogy there, are amongst all the men, it goes up to the son of, the son of, the son of, and then you get Jesus. Up up on there, there is five women that are mentioned there. And it's Tamar, Rahab, Ruth. There is, it says Uriah's wife, but her name was Bathsheba. And then we have Mary. Now, if you look at the genealogy there, you might think you have a, past, a, a really bad past and a, a past heritage and, oh, you have no idea what my grandfather was like. He was a terrible guy. Or my great-grandfather. You think you have one? Well, I'm going to tell you the genealogy and the bloodline of Christ. Tamar, she slept with her father-in-law. She had two children to him. Rahab was a prostitute. Ruth was a foreigner, so she was classed like an outsider who came in 
to Israel and married Boaz, who we'll mention in a minute. Then we have Bathsheba. She was known as called Uriah's wife, but King David committed adultery with her. They had a son who became King Solomon, and it says the wisest man in all the earth. Then we have Mary. She was the last woman mentioned. This is the grace of God here, that he could actually choose such a bloodline for Jesus, his son, the hope of the world to be born. Maybe God was really giving us a reminder. Yes, Jesus came, as it says in Matthew 1 and 21, he shall save his people from their sins. That to me is God's amazing grace. And it doesn't finish there in Joshua. And it doesn't finish just with her. She is, she, she's taken out of the city with the children of Israel. She goes into their house, into their camp, like their church. And she goes from a house of shame to a house of fame. And God sets you all up as his warriors. He doesn't want you to go around with shame, but he wants to give you fame and blessing and turn you into a kingdom warrior. Because the story tells us, if you read further on in the Bible, that she finally falls in love. Someone falls in love with her. And she marries someone in Israel called Salmon, as in like the fish spell. But he must have been quite wealthy because they have a son. And the son is an amazing, wealthy, mighty man. The Bible tells us he was a man of good standing and his name was Boaz. And it says Boaz's name means strength is within him. Rahab knew she finally was strong in the Lord. She names her son strength in him, in Jesus. He became a mighty warrior in Israel, a great man of wealth, and he takes a wife who is Ruth, an outsider who I'm named after, and she comes into Israel. That is an amazing story of the gospel, but Rahab is the great, great, I don't know how many greats, grandmother, quite a lot, of King David, and the great, 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 however many greats, of Jesus. That is who Jesus came to be identified with. The people who are rejected around the community, God says, nah, I can turn them into mighty warriors. That is a story of his amazing grace. So that's how kingdom warriors move with love and grace because that is the father heart of God. That is the very DNA of God love and grace so if you ever doubt that you're a warrior get into the presence of god get some mighty prayer armor on and go for it and as you spend time in the presence of god and you show love and grace man those walls of jericho will come down whatever wall you're facing in your life it will be taken down praise his name